good to be here. And uh, I don't think I've uh, stood up here and preached for a couple of weeks. And it's good uh, to have a change of pace and uh, not always, you know, hear the sound of my own voice or speak at people, but get to hear from one another and share and pray for one another. Uh, I think that's really good um, to be active and participate in worship and hear the different voices of God because that's how it's meant to be. Um, so we are moving on from the Be Renewed, hashtag Be Renewed series to obviously the Lent, our Lenten series, and it's uh, the journey to renewal is the title of the series. And when you think about rhythm or schedules or things by which we order um, our lives, uh, we all have some sort of rhythm, some sort of system, some sort of timing mechanism, and most of us follow, right? There's 60 seconds in a minute, there's 60 minutes in an hour, there's 24 hours in a day, there's seven days in a week, there's 56 weeks in a year, uh, 52, oh yeah, 52 weeks. Some of us there's 56 it feels like. Um, and uh, there's, a, so you may find yourself throughout the day, what, looking at the clock, right? Now at this time, I have to go here. Now at this time, I have to be there. And I'm late right now, I need to rush. Or I got some time to take, I have 15 minutes to take a power nap, just so I can just survive. And uh, we order our lives um, by the rhythm of work week, right? For many people, if you have a nine to five job, five days a week uh, during the weekdays, that's how you see your, the rhythm of your life. It's based around the 40 hour work week or for some 46 hours, or for some 50 hours, 60 hours, God forbid, 80 hours. Um, and so we rhythm, we order our lives around these rhythms. Um, but in Lent, and in, in the church, we follow a different rhythm. Um, and that's the rhythm of the church calendar. And that's the rhythm of uh, the different liturgical seasons. So this season that we're in that began with this past Wednesday during Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent, which is the 40 days in the church plus six Sundays, so a total of 46 days, in which the church emulates or enters into the rhythm of Jesus's journey in the wilderness, or in the wilderness, his 40-day journey in the wilderness and the temptation as this passage that Magdiel just read illustrates or follows. And also the 40 day, the 40 years in the wilderness that the people of Israel during the Exodus in, uh, uh, followed and journeyed on their way to the promised land. And this rhythm is different, right? You could say to me, 40 days? That's not, that's more, that's 10 days more than a month. Right? Unless you're February. February is kind of an anomaly. Sometimes it's 28, sometimes it's 27. But 40 days, right? that's, that's off sync. Most of us, when we think of the seasons, we go by right? fall, spring. Wait, what's after fall? Winter. Fall, winter, spring, summer. Right? Or we're forced, many of, you, many of us are forced to follow the, the school season, right? Nine months of school, kids are on vacation, winter break, snow days, 
extended school, right? Midwinter break, spring break, those Wednesdays for teacher work days, whatever those are, but we're forced to kind of follow those rhythms. Um, or many of us are influenced by consumer, consumerism, the rhythms of consumerism, right? What comes after Thanksgiving? Black Friday. Right? What comes after, you know, and after Thanksgiving and after Black Friday, what kind of music are we going to start to play or allowed to play? Christmas music. And the lights come up. The decorations come up. The sales. I feel like sales are not sales because everything is, on sale, is in a sales season, right? It's Black Friday. It's Christmas. It's blah, blah, blah. Right? And even Easter, right, has been co-opted uh, by secular consumeristic culture, right? There's the Easter bunny, and I, you know, there's Cadbury eggs. Like, where in the Bible are there eggs, right? And so we're used to these kind of uh, things, commercials, being blasted by commercials and things, more opportunities, more reasons to buy. And I don't want to throw all of that under the bus because there are also, there's also our faith, you know, interwoven into some of those holidays and events, and there's family, good family time, woven into those times. But I think Lent offers us a special opportunity to weave our lives and our days and our internal rhythms to God's rhythm, to God's season, to God's timing, right? And Lent, in particular, is a time where we are intentional where we're invited as a church, as Jesus followers, to be intentional and follow Jesus as he walks through the desert for 40 days. And it's also a time where we take up certain disciplines, right? Fasting, prayer, giving, other forms of self-denial in order to be intentional about wanting to be, wanting to be intentional and also wanting to receive of God's grace. Right? During Lent, many of us, or many of you have heard, like, what are you going to give up for Lent? Right? And I specifically have given up sweets. And so you'll see my belly like shrink and shrink and shrink. And Janice will be like, you should do Lent all, every day of the year. Right? I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, but I can only take it for 40 days at a time. No. But you hear about, are you giving up caffeine? Are you giving up fatty foods? Are you giving up sugar? But it's more than just giving up something, right? It's an intentionality to also take up something, to take up a heart that is receptive to God's voice and God's grace. Because God walks in the wilderness with us. Not only does he invite us into the wilderness, but he walks us through the wilderness. He's present with us. Just as at the top of this passage, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by what? Who? The Spirit into the wilderness. And the Spirit didn't just drop off Jesus in the wilderness. It's like, bye, I'll see you in 40 days. I right? hope you make it. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and also was with Jesus and empowered Jesus and ministered to Jesus and encouraged Jesus. And I'm sure there were times that Jesus Jesus wanted to give up in the wilderness. And the Spirit was there to whisper and speak, to remind Jesus of scriptures, the promises of scripture, 
to remind Jesus that indeed at Jesus in chapter 3, right before this, what was right before this? Jesus is baptized, right, by John the Baptist, and the Spirit descends and anoints Jesus' head. And God comes out of the skies and says, this is my son, my beloved. God names Jesus. God affirms Jesus, saying, with whom I am well pleased. And then it says, immediately Jesus was led through the wilderness by the Spirit. Right. Thanks, Dad. You love me. But the Spirit, Jesus, the Spirit is there ministering to Jesus and being with Jesus and giving Jesus the grace of God to go through the journey. And so it is with us. Not only are we giving up things, but in the giving up, we make room and space in our lives and our heart to receive what God has for us. If we're constantly holding on to things and trusting in our own devices to grab after life and sustenance, we won't have the room in our hands to take up what God wants to give us. Amen? Amen. And so that's what Lent is. It's intentionally letting go of those things. What are those things that we need to let go of so that our hands are empty to receive what God has for us? That is Lent. And that's the rhythm we're being invited into. It's a different kind of rhythm. Because sometimes the noise and the tick-tock of the flocks of the world confuse us. It becomes our Worship rhythms, it be, they become our church, our sanctuaries, our idols, our God, right? And we are shaped in those ways differently than how God wants to shape and form us. God has a vision and a plan for how he wants to shape you and form you into Jesus' people. Amen? Are you with me, church? That's Lent. So let me talk about the path of a wrestler. Uh, last week, I got to hang out with a uh, Fellowship of Christian Athlete, uh, one of the directors, his name is Pete, and he was a wrestler. He was a wrestler, and he, so he was really excited, like, when I go into high school, I like to work with wrestlers, right? Because wrestlers are a little off. And we looked at each other, he looked at me with these crazy eyes. And I knew exactly what he was talking about, because I wrestled in high school. Right? And so we both were looking at each other with crazy eyes and we're like, yeah, wrestlers are off. Right? Because think about the wrestlers, or if you wrestled in high school, the wrestlers in your school. Right? We knew they were tough. We knew they were buff and in shape. And no one ever fought them because if you fight a wrestler, you face it, you're going to get your butt kicked. Right? Because they know how to wrestle. They're, gonna do, they're not going to punch. They're going like, to take you down and you're, you're done. But they're a little goofy, right? They're not the popular kids. And if you have ever played pickup basketball with a team of wrestlers, it's ugly, right? They're not coordinated. They're like the, the muscular bunch, but they're not coordinated and they're not graceful. They're not elegant, right? And the thing about them is there's a, a, there's a goofiness, um, but we're also intense, right? There's an intensity. Um, an awkwardness, but extremely disciplined, tough, and hardcore committed. And that's what I think Pete was talking about is it takes a lot of commitment to be a wrestler because practices are hard, you have to cut weight, and you have to weigh in every week at a certain weight. And for me, 
it was probably one of the toughest experiences I've had besides hot yoga last week. But losing weight, toughest practices ever. Uh, we'd have to do these drills called spin drill um, at, the end, at the end of practice when we're really tired. And a lot of us have been cutting weight, so not eating a lot. And we're sweating, we're in garbage bags and full on sweats and we're on the ground, we're pressing the whistle and we're switching directions, spinning on, on our chest on someone crouched on the ground and just spinning, spinning as fast as we can for like an hour. Very difficult. But these sacrifices were made to become lean, mean warriors and prepare uh, us for those three, the rounds, there's three rounds, they're two minutes each, right? But they're the most grueling two minutes you can experience because you're going against someone who's just as physically strong as you doing, trying to do the same exact thing as you're doing to them, right? So it's very difficult and your muscles burn out. Um, and there are often times in the, in the most excruciating tests of strength, endurance, and skill that I wanted to give up, right? I wanted to give up. There were times when, you, when I got caught in a move early in a two minute round and I was you know, about to be pinned and in my mind, I'm going through this discussion, like, just lose. Like, you're gonna have to fight this. He's squeezing the breath out of you. You're tired as heck. You're gonna lose anyways, because you're gonna burn all your energy fighting the pin. Just lose. But then the coach saying, Sim, don't give up. Don't give up, Sim. And I'm like, oh no, the pride and the training. The training is all there, so you would fight that. Then, so you'd be ready to fight it. And especially when you're tired and you're hungry, your mind gets delusional too. And you can't think as well or as clearly or as strategically. So that's where all the practice and the drilling comes in handy. Because you drilled and drilled and practiced, you do things naturally without thinking about it. Right? And that's where all that training comes to a head. Is a time when you're most tired and you want to give up, and there's that voice saying, don't give up, don't give up. The way of Jesus is the way of obedience. <coughs> and it's also the path to freedom at the same time. Let me say that again, the way of Jesus is the way of obedience, mm -hmm. and also the path to freedom at the mm -hmm. same time. I don't know about you, when I hear obey or obedience, something in me just like reacts. I get hives, I chafe like, heck no, I'm not gonna obey you, right? Obey me. Obedience, somehow we define obedience as a loss of will, right? A loss of freedom. We just blindly follow someone or something. We blindly follow God or some authority. And many of us have that natural inkling to challenge authority or be like, why? That's my son, Isaiah. Why? Why? And I try not to use the word, just obey me, right? Because I think that's kind of a cop-out. I want to give him some reasons. But there are times when your son or your children suggest obey you, right? I don't have time to explain, right? If I feel like we're in an unsafe situation, maybe there's some rough, rough characters in a public situation, 
and I'm saying, Cammy, Isaiah, hold my hand, or Cammy, Isaiah, come here. And they're like playing over there. I don't have time to say, well, because I don't trust that person over there. They look kind of rough, and I fear for your safety, so just come closer to me. I don't have time for that. I just want to say, obey, just come here, sit next to me, right? Right? And there's reasons we ought to obey, but we resist that. But with God, obedience and freedom come together, right? Because in his way, there's freedom. And in, in, another, in, in the way of the world, there is imprisonment. But we might not see it, or we might not know it. Are you with me, church? Amen. Amen. Most of us are slow to choose the path of trials, difficulties, and discipline. If you're like me, you're bent actually towards choosing the path of least resistance, especially when I drive. If there's traffic, I don't want to be patient and wait, so I'll exit just because the traffic is flowing that way. Then I'll go another way, I go another way. I'm like water. Wherever there's no resistance, I'm going. And it's the same with discipline. Oh, is it going to require hard work? Then I'm going to take this shortcut or this shortcut. But during Lent, we're invited to embrace an intentional way of life. For 40 days, just as Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. Um, so when we read this passage, it's good to read it side by side with Deuteronomy 6 through 9, the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And um, so when you go home and you re-look at this passage, read Deuteronomy 6 through 8 um, side by side and together because Israel and Deuteronomy is being humbled and tested by God in the wilderness. And we don't... Um, and their responses to these trials and tribulations is, we don't need God anymore, right? We don't need God to give us, to feed us in the desert anymore. We don't need God uh, to fill us when we're thirsty anymore. We don't need God. And this is the same as the secular mindset, right? In life, in my work, in my play, in my trying to get through life, raise a family, be with my spouse, I don't need God, right? I can rely on myself, my competence, my ability, my education, my skills, my money, my talent, and I don't need God anymore. But in contrast to that, Jesus' way in the wilderness is that he chooses faithfulness. In contrast to the people of Israel, Jesus chooses faithfulness. Jesus didn't choose trials and uh, didn't choose the trials and sufferings that he went through, um, but knew that they would come because that was a part of his call, his being faithful to the will of God, right? If you remember the Garden of Gethsemane, not your will but mine be done. But if you can take this away from me, God, please take this away. But Jesus didn't. His faithfulness. He knew he would have to suffer for being who he was and choosing to be faithful, there would be trials, and he didn't shy away from that. He didn't look for um, the shortcut. So, um, 
this writer named Sharon Ringe um, had this kind of idea, and her idea was this, in terms of Jesus and temptation. This devil was not luring Jesus into doing bad things, really, if you think about it. Um, but rather, he's luring Jesus with good things mm -hmm. to veer him away from the will and mission of God. And for the church that Luke is writing to, the question is, will you follow a more comfortable Messiah? Right? Jesus and God has a mission and a plan for the world and for you. Right? Will we water that down for something more comfortable? And that's, that's what this temptation in the wilderness brings up. So she goes on. So for the first temptation... Jesus has been fasting. I don't know how many of you have fasted. Like, fasted for a day, fasted for two days. Anyone fast for a week before? <laughs> Magdiel, two weeks? No. <laughs> was it, how was it? Was it hard? It was hard. Um, the longest that I've heard, I've known someone to fast that has been, that I've know, actually known as my father. He fasted, he did a 40-day fast. And that's kind of like at day 35 through 40, that's when you actually, your body starts eating itself. And it's like the most excruciating time. And he, he told me a lot about this. I mean, he, he obviously had to drink fluids and stuff like that, but he went to a mountain in Korea and there's people there who minister to pastors or people who are fasting, trying to do the 40 day fast. And he said the first couple weeks it was really hard. Because you're just getting over your, your habits and your body is just like really angry. Like, ah, I need to be fed. And then he said, and then you, I started coasting. Like for a couple weeks it was like, really good. This is awesome. I can do this. And then those last, the last week he said he just wanted to die. He wanted to give up. Just excruciating. And I remember as a child when he came back, I did not recognize him. He looked 20, day, 20 years younger, literally. He had lost 50 pounds. And he has all, you know, I can go into all these stories, but before he had went, he had like this mass um, that was in there. I think we think it was a tumor. Um, but uh, when he came back, everything was gone. His high cholesterol, his high blood pressure, his diabetes, all of it was gone. And he was healthy. Um, but anyways... So imagine Jesus was there for 40 days in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. <laughs> it's like, um, and that's when the devil comes to him with the first temptation and says, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. So this, the woman's Sharon Ringe says, Feeding the hungry isn't a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. what, what's, what the devil offers is, you're hungry, turn the stone into bread and feed yourself. It's not a bad thing, right? To turn stone into bread can alleviate hunger. And if Jesus can turn this one stone into bread, he can do that for all of Israel, right? Mm -hmm. He can feed all of the hungry in Israel, 
He would be like a new Moses, providing manna for the people in the desert. Yet Jesus responds in the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 8.3, humanity does not live on bread alone, right? And in this way, feeding the hungry alone is not enough to define Jesus' mission. It's not just about feeding people, feeding our hungers. There's something more about my mission. People don't live on bread alone, but what? By, by the word that comes, the every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I'm here to give God's word, to preach God's word. Number two, Satan gives an opportunity for Jesus to rule the world with justice, right? I mean, the one falsehood in that is that the devil sets up the scenario where his, the authority of all kingdoms of the world is Satan's to give, right? I will give you these kingdoms if you will only bow to me. And in the known world at that time, who was in charge? Who was the biggest empire and kingdom of the world? It was Rome, right? The Roman Empire uh, ruled all of the known world. And so a regime change, a change in power to Jesus would be an amazing thing, right? Jesus could be ended right there. That's what people were waiting for. The Messiah to come and bring political change and kind of uplift the government and bring in, usher in God's control and God's kingdom. But that was not how God intended it. That was not Jesus' mission, right? Even though the opportunity to rule the world with justice Jesus could take that from Satan. It would require Jesus handing that authority to Satan and bowing and worshiping Satan. So Jesus quotes the Shema from Deuteronomy 6.13 all um, and saying, you shall love the Lord and only your God, only the Lord and worship your God only. All authority is under God and you will not worship anyone else. Finally, number three, uh, to serve God faithfully, to be called the faithful servant of God. Satan takes uh, Jesus to Jerusalem, to the temple, and the very top of the temple. And the temple is where all the priests who serve the Lord are. And Jesus literally, physically, and, and figuratively is to be at the top of the temple, the servant of God. And Jesus, or the Satan, plays on this position of privilege in Jesus. My servant, the scripture says in, in Psalms 91, if my servant throws himself off a precipice, the angels will come down and save him, right? Because he's my faithful servant. He's my son. I love him, right? And Satan is saying, you are faithful. You are the son of God. You are Messiah, right? Cash in on that privilege. Right? Surely you're too big to fail. Surely you're the main character. You're the free agent, right? You're the Antonio Brown, right? Surely they wouldn't get rid of you, right? And so, and Jesus is like, yeah, if I jump, God would probably save me. But what? Deuteronomy six sixteen. Do not put the Lord to the test. Do not put the Lord the test. These are all good things, but with a twist. 
right? These temptations aren't necessarily evil, but the twist is what makes it evil because it takes away from the true identity, call, and mission of Jesus, right? It, it, go, it harkens back to create Satan, that creation, the original temptation. Did God really say this? Making us question what God really said and twisting those words so that we veer off the path. We change rhythms, we change gears, right? From the original gear and path and rhythm that we're intended to be on. And you know what? Jesus ended up doing all of these things, right? Though he refused to turn stone to bread, Jesus in his ministry does feed the hungry. Amen? Amen. Though he refused the promise of authority and power of kingdoms, Jesus ushers in and proclaims the kingdom of God regularly. He says, the kingdom of God is here, is coming and is now here. Right? He spoke that with authority. And though he refused to jump off the temple and sacrifice himself, Self so that God would save him, Jesus does choose to go to the cross, knowing in the end God would bring him back to life and that there would be victory in the resurrection. Amen? But it doesn't come from the devil. It comes from Jesus' faithfulness and obedience, even in the midst of suffering and trials and not seeing how the plan is going to happen right before us because... It, there's a lot of obstacles, there's a lot of trials, and it's not happening like I thought it was going to happen. Even so, I will be faithful and obedient. And God will bring it. God will fill my hands up. Are you with me, church? And so this is the invitation, is to walk as Jesus walked, to walk in solidarity with Jesus, because we're hungry. Yes. Many of you may be famished and hungry and thirsty. Many of you may be lost and searching. But I'm here to say that not all who wander are lost. Not all who have wandered are lost. And, there's, and if you're in the wilderness, oftentimes that is an opportunity for God's grace to step in. We are not the people of Israel, but in, in what ways have, we, have, you expect, have you experienced the wilderness in your life? I'm going to give some reflection questions, and then we're going to um, take some time um, to, to add to the cross with our own yarn. We are not the people of Israel, but in what ways have we experienced the wilderness? Where have you experienced God's faithfulness in the wilderness? How strong are the temptations to return to your old selves, to rely on yourselves? Um, the devil's temptations sound as if they can be good and true, uh, but are off. What are things that seem true that you are tempted to give in to? And then, how is Jesus asking you to wait, to be obedient, to 
to choose discipline, to say no, in order to seek um, after him, in order to be faithful. So reflect on that, and uh, uh, whatever God brings up, the Spirit brings up in your reflection, um, attach that thought or idea, that conviction, uh, to a piece of yarn and tie it um, to this cross up here. You can come up as, as, you, as you feel led. Um, you'll see that there's already yarn tied up there. So during our Ash Wednesday service, we uh, did similar things. What are we giving up? Or what are the things we want to tie to the cross uh, in our wilderness journey? Same type of question. What are you going to tie? Uh, to the cross, give to Jesus um, in this season of life. So, if uh, you can have music or okay. feel free uh, during uh, our continued musical worship to come up and uh, respond in any way that you feel. You can kneel down, you can pray, stand in worship, or uh, tie your yarn to the cross. Uh, but I also wanted to add to the obedience piece and a reminder that the way of Jesus is the way of obedience, but it's also the way to life and to freedom. And we have to believe that, that it's not just blind obedience without, just because it's a rule, but it's obedience so that we can receive life, new life and freedom. And that's what we're going to experience in this Easter season is the power of the resurrection and true transformation that comes when we are faithful and allow Jesus to lead us through and the Spirit to lead us through the wilderness. Thank you.